The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. to the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast with your host, Nick Bat. Sometimes I'll start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way. And Bruce Nolan. I once worked with a guy for three years and never learned his name. Best friend I ever had. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show. I am your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. Nick is not able to be with me today, but today we're going to spend some time together, you and I, and we're going to have a discussion about where Sean McDermott falls in the hierarchy and tiers of NFL head coaches. We did this, if you recall, last summer. Nick and I did this, and we tiered NFL quarterbacks. And I think that part of the discussion is the tiers themselves. And then the other part of the discussion is the actual methodology by which you decide how you tier head coaches. And so as I was working my way through this, I think it's a valuable mental exercise. I hope I am able to explain it in such a way that allows you as the listener to be able to follow my logic by which I decided to tier these head coaches. There is a companion piece for this podcast. It is on buffalorumblings.com right now entitled Opinion, Where Sean McDermott Ranks in the Hierarchy of NFL Head Coaches. And without further ado, we're going to start having this discussion. So head coaches are important to winning. Pretty obvious. We understand this. I made the argument, and I have continually made the argument, that wins are not a quarterback stat. And I would make an argument that wins are not a coaching stat either. They're being they're closer to being a coaching stat than they are a quarterback stat because coaches have more control over things than quarterbacks do. But really, wins are organizational stats. So if you can't use win-loss record in a vacuum to determine how good an NFL head coach is, then How is it that you want to tier them? And so what I did was I took up the parts that make up a win or a loss and I listed them 
And then I went through and determined how much effect an NFL head coach has on each one of these items. The first item is play calling, specifically the execution of the play calling duties falls on the head coach. Why? Why is it falling on the head coach? Because he's the one who hired the people who plan for the game, scheme, and call plays. Now, that means he has partial responsibility for play calling. Not total responsibility, because unless the head coach actually calls the plays himself, which is very common, unless he actually calls the plays himself, there's always going to be a certain amount of variability as the coordinator themselves gets more freedom. So they have partial responsibility for play calling because they're the one in charge of hiring and firing and coaching the coach who does those things. The second part is game planning and scheming. They also have a fair amount of control over this. The game plan is done as the coaching staff as a whole. The coordinators will discuss it with the head coach, the defense coordinator, head coach, offensive coordinator, head coach. This idea of how it is that you want to attack a specific team has a level of understanding that the head coach is going to be responsible for that. We know that that is the case. Now, again, I wouldn't say it's 100% the case, but it is markedly the case. It is a fair enough percentage that we can feel comfortable assigning that to the head coach, at least in majority. The third thing is talent level outside of quarterback. The head coach, unless they have personnel duties, has very little impact on this part of winning and losing. The next part is talent level at the quarterback position. I separated these out for a specific reason because of how important quarterbacks are relative to the rest of your team. But the talent level at the quarterback position, also very, very small piece. Now, I know that any good GM worth their salt is going to care about what the head coach thinks about a potential franchise quarterback prospect, whether that's bringing in someone in free agency, whether that's drafting somebody. I know that their opinion is going to matter. However, in most cases, the head coach is not the one actually picking the players. As such, they have very little impact on this particular piece. The next piece is execution, player execution. The coach has a reasonable impact on this because they're the ones teaching specifically how they want it done. They hire the position coach. They all get on the same page. This is how I want this technique done. This is how I want it done. Now, obviously, players are going to execute poorly all the time. And for that part, the head coach cannot be held responsible. But again, this is another piece that the head coach doesn't have complete control over. They have some control over. And the last piece is game day coaching and decision making. This is a part where the head coach has a ton of influence on this part of whether or not a team wins or loses. The game day coaching and decision making, whether or not to go for it on fourth down, when to call that fake punt, whether or not to kick this field goal, what you want to do in the two-minute drill, this all falls down to the head coach. They are overwhelmingly the person on the field who has this control. So if you think about it, they have their hand in play calling a little bit. They have their play hand in game planning and scheming a little bit. They don't have their hand in talent level outside or inside the quarterback room very much at all. They have their hand in execution a little bit. And then they have their hand in game day coaching and decision making a lot. So there's influence of the head coach everywhere. But you can't really assign any of these entirely to the head coach. But you can assign most of them partially 
to the head coach. So if I have established that these are the things that go into wins and losses and that the head coach has varying levels of involvement in each one of these things, then the next question is, how do you rank a coach? How do you tier them? So if that's the case, then the way we're going to tier these coaches is how well they execute the things they are responsible for. And by extension, how well the items they do not control need to be executed in order to achieve the desired result, which is winning games, making the playoffs, winning the Super Bowl. If the coach is really good at the things that they control, the things they don't control don't need to be as good to get a more holistic, positive outcome. So much like the way that the quarterback discussion went with Nick and I last year when we said, how good does the team around the quarterback have to be? This is the question. How good does the organization have to make the aspects around a head coach, the non-controllables, in order to achieve the same level of outcome? So that's the way we're going to break down these coaches. And we're going to separate them into five tiers based on that. The first tier, these coaches can win a Super Bowl with good roster and quarterback play. Just good. If you give them a good roster and good quarterback play, they can win a Super Bowl. You don't have to be great. You don't have to be elite. You will be a Super Bowl contender with a good roster and good quarterback play. You could win a Super Bowl. The second tier, you can consistently make the playoffs with a good roster and quarterback play, but you will need a great roster and quarterback play to win a Super Bowl. These are still good coaches. These are good coaches who are not able to necessarily will themselves over the hump between a good roster and quarterback play and a great roster and quarterback play. But you can count on it that if you do what's necessary to get them a good roster, you say, you know what? We check the box. If you think about it like a binary, we've done our job. It's a good roster and we have good quarterback play. I can consistently make the playoffs with this coach. Now, I might need to get a little bit extra to win a Super Bowl, but I can absolutely count on the coach doing their job to get us in the tournament, win some games. The third tier is need a great roster and quarterback play to consistently make the playoffs. These are teams where you start to see the pendulum start to swing a little bit. You would make an argument that everything from tier three down you could make an argument that these is where this is where you start to fall into maybe teams you would view as being underachieving. Teams that were more talented than their record would indicate. That's where you start to get into this right here. Because you need a great roster and a quarterback play to consistently make the playoffs because you have to make up for some deficiencies in the head coach. That doesn't mean you can't do it. This is really important. You can do it. But again, consistency is the term. Consistently is the term that is important here. And you need a great roster and quarterback play to consistently make the playoffs. The fourth tier is you need an elite roster and quarterback play to consistently make the playoffs. This back half of tier three and then tier four, this is where you start to get into, hey, we need a new guy. We need a new guy. Because being able to hold an elite roster or elite quarterback play for a long time is hard in this league. Salary cap league, it's very, very, very difficult to do, especially once you pay a quarterback big money. It's hard to do it. And if you hitch your wagon to a quarterback and he's the guy, 
but you have a coach who's not able to make up the difference that you're going to experience naturally when it comes to the remainder of the roster, you're going to struggle to consistently make the playoffs. Now, that doesn't mean you can't happen. Good coaches win Super Bowls. Good coaches make the playoffs and bad coaches win Super Bowl and bad coaches win the playoffs. Just because you win a Super Bowl doesn't mean you're a good coach. Just because you make the playoffs doesn't mean you're a good coach. It's about consistently. Nick and I mentioned this on the quarterback pod. There's plenty of bad quarterbacks who have won Super Bowls. It's a matter of can you do it consistently? Is it a fluke? And so if a team with a tier four head coach won a Super Bowl, I would make an argument it'd be a fluke. Because that doesn't mean it can't happen. It's just unlikely. It's the probability. And because the probability is low, your probability of being able to do it consistently is also low. Tier five is boring. It's unknown. These are your first year head coaches who do not have data. These are not your coaches who are retreads because we have data on those coaches. We know that they can improve. These tiers are fluid. They change year to year. Coaches do good jobs some years, and they do bad jobs some years. And that's a little bit fluid. But the fifth tier is people we just don't have any data on. Maybe they were a head coach of a college team. It's not the same game. Maybe they were a coordinator. It's not the same responsibility. There is no statistically significant data for tier five coaches to indicate that they are someone who you can put in a tier. It's the same tier that Josh Allen was in when we did the tiering of the quarterbacks. There's just not statistically significant data to indicate where this head coach should be. So a couple more items of methodology before we get into the tiers. We accommodate for fluke seasons. We absolutely accommodate for that because consistently is the word that we use when mentioned as far as making the playoffs. It's used for a reason because it accommodates for fluke seasons. You could have a, a, a head coach that had a team make a deep run in the playoffs and they show up in tier four because that I believe that's a fluke. So this is an opinion piece and it accommodates for that. Second, the word can and the usage of that word is very important. Someone doesn't have to actually have won a Super Bowl to be in tier one because it's an opinion piece based on whether or not I believe they can do it, not whether or not they have. Patrick Mahomes was in the top tier of quarterbacks and said can win a Super Bowl primarily due to last year on the Nick and Nolan show. At that time, he had not won a Super Bowl. Now he has. But at the time, there were some questions. Guys, it's only been one year. Come on, what are you doing with Patrick Mahomes? What are you doing? Well, turns out he was right. He was correct to be in that tier. The next thing, I mentioned that tier placement is fluid. Were I to complete this exercise next offseason, it would very likely look different as more data is accumulated and coaches are faced with roster and QB play situations that they previously have not experienced. So let's make sure that we understand all that stuff when it comes to methodology before we go further. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I give you the head coaching tiers. Tier one can win a Super Bowl with a good roster and quarterback play. Andy Reid, Bill Belichick, John Harbaugh, Kyle Shanahan, Sean Payton. I think no one's surprised to see Bill Belichick here. I think that what he has done absent Tom Brady, but still in New England, I think that really the Matt Castle year really tips this in the favor. I mean, they went 11-5. and five. I know they missed the playoffs, but that was a really fluky scenario where the AFC was weird and they tied and they had some tiebreakers not go their way. They went 11-5 and five with Matt Castle. 
And Matt Castle has gone on to not be successful elsewhere. And so the idea that Bill Belichick is entirely a product of Tom Brady, I think is a little foolhardy. I think that he is one of the greatest defensive game planners in the history of football and can knock you off your pedestal really fast. John Harbaugh's ability to adjust from the way that team looked under Joe Flacco to the way they look right now under Lamar Jackson doesn't get nearly the publicity that it should. He essentially remade his entire offensive philosophy and allowed Greg Roman to really play with it. In addition, John Harbaugh has always been on the cutting edge of using analytics to make sure he's maximizing his time with the ball and maximizing drives. And that did well last year. In fact, we got the league MVP to show for it. Kyle Shanahan is a really, really, really good coach. I said it when they were the number two overall pick, and I'll say it again. His ability to understand run run scheme and the ability to move people in motion and understand how to get positive matchups from using horizontal space is really impressive and can help make a quarterback like Jimmy Garoppolo, who I think is a good quarterback, but not an amazing quarterback, look really good and get all the way to the Super Bowl. I think that's really impressive. Sean Payton is not a product of Drew Brees any more so than Bill Belichick is a product of Tom Brady. I think his games using Teddy Bridgewater last year are proof of that. Teddy Bridgewater is a perfectly reasonable quarterback, but he's not Drew Brees. And Sean Payton was able to maintain the level of success that New Orleans had seen with a markedly less talented quarterback than Drew Brees is, one of the greatest of all times, going to Teddy Bridgewater. He is not a product of Drew Brees. His ability to be able to manufacture offense and get wins with Teddy Bridgewater is proof of it. Andy Reid has long been an underrated coach, and the reason is because he didn't have a ring. But he was in many NFC championships with the Donovan McNabb Eagles, and I have a feeling he'll be in many more AFC championships and Super Bowls with Patrick Mahomes. I'm glad that he's finally getting the national recognition that he deserves, and I understand that there was probably a time where his his path had run its course in Philadelphia, but he's a great coach, and I'm glad to see him here in Tier 1, and I'm glad I put him there. Tier 2 can consistently make playoffs with a good roster and quarterback play. You need a great roster and quarterback play to win the Super Bowl. These are coaches I would consider to be above average coaches. They're good coaches. I wouldn't be actively looking to replace them if they were my coaches because I think that you can consistently get to the tournament. And once you get there, anything's possible. You get a, you get a Joe Flacco hot run, you can win a Super Bowl. Here are the coach coaches. Anthony Lynn, Brian Flores, Doug Peterson, Bruce Arians, Frank Reich, John Gruden, Mike Tomlin, Sean McDermott, Sean McVay, Mike Zimmer. Before we get to the obvious one you want to hear about, being Sean McDermott, let's talk about Brian Flores being on here. The fact that the Miami Dolphins got five wins last year is nothing short of staggering to me. They were actively shipping off talent out of their roster, and their ability to manufacture games is not just a result of of Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think highly of Brian Flores, his ability to get a competitive defensive scheme and his ability to put his offensive players in a position where they can maximize the talent that they have. Now that the Miami Dolphins have more talent, I think they're an interesting team to watch in the AFC. I don't know if they're quite there yet. They're at this point year two into the rebuild. Year one was basically a demolition year and year two is when they start to you know reconstruct the roster. 
Anthony Lynn, I think, is a good coach as well. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how he does absent Phillip Rivers. But if Anthony Lynn's experience with Tyrod Taylor in Buffalo is any indication, he understands how to manufacture offense and put his people in good positions. That defense in San Diego is excellent. And Anthony Lynn has hired excellent coordinators, which is part of this job. You can't just say, well, he's got a good coordinator. Well, he hired that good coordinator. And there's plenty of people who are retreads who come over and over and over again. And people, head coaches are comfortable with them. And they don't necessarily get great results, but they just keep getting jobs. Anthony Lynn has hired good coordinators and put them in position to be able to maximize their offensive and defensive systems. John Gruden is a weird place on this list. I was not anticipating John Gruden to come back into the NFL after the absence that he had and not be left out. I thought the game had very likely passed him by, but his ability to get career seasons, great seasons out of Derek Carr is really impressive because I don't think he's John Gruden's preferred quarterback. His ability to utilize a new age weapon at tight end is also very impressive because when John Gruden exited the NFL, tight ends were not a dynamic weapon the way that they are now. But Darren Waller's year last year is indicative that John Gruden can adapt his traditional West Coast system to be able to utilize tight ends in a way that historically he did not previously. So let's talk about Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott, in my opinion, is a good coach. I've made an argument before that he's a surprisingly progressive head coach. Surprisingly progressive. I really, truly feel that he doesn't get enough credit because he spouts off all of these football cliches and he says things like culture and people have a tendency to kind of write it off. But hiring a nickel coach, taking the next step forward on fourth down aggressiveness, he is evolving. That growth mindset helps him. There are going to be things that hold Sean McDermott back. I think that the Nathan Peterman decision multiple times, I think, holds him back. I think the game day decision making, I think that's a black mark on his resume, although he is getting better at that spot. He's not a perfect coach. However, you look at some of the things that were concerning for him early on, the ability for a team to occasionally come in and just completely blow out the bills. Looking back, you wondered, okay, at the time, was that a McDermott thing or was that a talent thing? But as the talent level on this team has increased, the blowouts have decreased. We really only were uncompetitive in the back half of the Eagles game last year. And that's indicative that as the talent level goes up, your tendency to have bad losses that really, really indicate that you were probably just really significantly outcoached, those go down, which indicates that maybe the blowouts earlier in his career were indicative of the lack of talent on this team. I think Sean McDermott is a good coach, not a great coach, not an amazing coach. I think he's a good coach. I think he's a top 16 head coach in this league, and that's where he's at on this list. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with Tier 3, 4, and 5, so stick with me. Welcome back, everybody, to this episode of the Nick and Nolan Show. I am your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter, at Bruce Exclusive. And we have been breaking down the head coaching tiers as I see it in the NFL as of today, middle of May 2020. So we've gone through tier one, we've gone through tier two, we're going to tier three now. Tier three is need a great roster and quarterback play to consistently make playoffs. 
I mentioned when I was discussing what these tiers were, this is where you start to get into maybe we should replace them if they stay in this tier too long because I mentioned these are fluid. So for me personally, if they stay in this tier for a couple seasons, maybe we should recognize that maybe they're not going to because being in this tier for one season, you know, that's okay. Maybe they had a bad year, right? Maybe they slipped. Maybe they underwhelmed. They made some bad decisions. Quarterbacks have up and down years. Coaches have up and down years. It's the same thing. I think people expect a level of consistency from coaches that they don't expect from players, which is weird because I understand that there's a fraction of players' performance that is strictly physical, and I get that. But there's variance with coaches too. There's variance in their decisions. There's ability for them to learn. There's ability for them to evolve. And we have to take that into consideration. So being in tier three by itself is not necessarily a death knell to a coach's career. Staying in tier three or dropping down to tier four and staying there might be. So tier three, Dan Quinn, Matt Nagy, Matt LaFleur, Mike McCarthy, Ron Rivera, Pete Carroll, Mike Vrabel, Vic Fangio, Zach Taylor, Bill O'Brien, Cliff Kingsbury. You might be surprised to see Pete Carroll on this list. Here's a hot take. I'm not of the opinion that Pete Carroll is a great coach. He's okay. He's an okay coach. I would make an argument that the Seahawks team has underperformed since Russell Wilson has become an elite quarterback. And the fact that they haven't gone deeper into the playoffs when they should have is an indictment, really, against Pete Carroll, his ability to not really get over some of his his need for evolution. I think Pete Carroll, in a lot of ways, is the anti-Sean McDermott. He has an elite quarterback in Russell Wilson, where we don't have an elite quarterback, at least not yet, in Josh Allen. But Sean McDermott is making the most of what he has, and I don't think Pete Carroll is. Pete Carroll gave a great interview where he mentioned that he never quite got over the loss of Curtis Martin when he was the Patriots head coach. And that was really interesting because it really spoke to Pete Carroll's methodology and his mindset that he felt that that elite running back was such a significant portion of his success as a head coach that without him, his ability to win games was significantly impacted, which of course runs counterculture to a lot of the NFL, which has devalued running backs. And although Curtis Martin is a good talent, kind of putting the ability to win on one elite running back really, I think, doesn't speak well toward Pete Carroll's mindset. Now, again, he's a perfectly reasonable coach, but I don't think he's a great coach. And the fact that he won a Super Bowl, I don't think is evidence to the contrary. So a couple of names you might think are interesting on this list is Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur's only been a head coach for one year. I think if you look at the Packers season, they were more lucky than they were good last year. And I think Aaron Rodgers playing well, helped, you know, coming back. But if you look at how the ball bounced their ways a couple of times, I really don't necessarily know if we really got the information on LaFleur that we probably needed to get for me to put him higher on this list. I'm not saying he couldn't jump higher. I'm saying when I evaluate the Green Bay Packers season from last year, I don't look at it and immediately jump out. It was clearly LaFleur. It was clearly him. That's really the reason the impetus between the players and the coaches as far as the reason why he won games. The reason why the Green Bay Packers won games last year, I don't look at it and immediately think, hmm, clearly it's Lafleur. So I understand this might be a little hot takey, but right now I don't have him as a top half head coach 
in the NFL. And I think that there's a chance that this year and potentially the next year when they might have Jordan Love at quarterback might tell us more about Matt LaFleur than we previously know. Tier four, need an elite roster and quarterback play to consistently make playoffs. I am of the opinion that these three coaches on this tier are a net negative to their teams. And if you replace them with a replacement level coach, you would immediately get better results. Adam Gase, Doug Marone, Matt Patricia. Adam Gase is pretty obvious. I don't believe that Adam Gase is a good head coach. I don't think he was a good coach in Miami. I don't think he'll be a good head coach now. If he were, I will be more than happy to come back here and admit my intellectual honesty was flawed and that Adam Gase is actually a good head coach. I do not see that happening. I think that there is a reasonable chance that the Jets hiring Adam Gase, when they did, could have been a significant blow to the opportunity for Sam Darnold to be a franchise quarterback. That's how seriously I feel about it. Doug Marone was a couple plays away from being in the Super Bowl. He had the elitist of elite defenses that year, and it didn't hold up year over year. And so they crashed and burned the next year. So again, he's a great example of just because something once happened one time doesn't mean you're an elite head coach. I think that when it comes down to the way that he views the game, Doug Marone's conservatism, of course, has been well documented by Bill's Mafia. And I think that will continue to hurt him. Matt Patricia, I think, doesn't get a pass because Matt Stafford got hurt. Because that wasn't the only thing wrong with the Detroit Lions last year. I think the defensive scheming is okay. But aside from that, the other aspects of being a head coach, making consistently intelligent decisions on game day, making sure that you are hiring appropriate coordinators, you're maximizing your offensive and defensive personnel, I don't think he levels highly in any of those things. I think if Matt Patricia does not win this year, he's gone. And I mentioned that when I did my mock draft for Buffalo Rumblings, I said, it's interesting trying to predict what a coach and GM will do when you think they'll both get canned if they don't win. And I think that's what's going to happen. I think this is the last year for Matt Patricia. We'll see how that goes. My goodness, this is turning into kind of a hot takey pod. I didn't realize it was going to be, but that's kind of how it worked out. Tier five is the unknowns. Matt Rule, Kevin Stefanski, Joe Judge. No hot takes here. There simply isn't data to indicate whether or not they will be successful. There's simply not enough data at this point. You, you can't tell me what they are. You can tell me what you think they'll be. You can tell me what they were in their own positions. You can talk about what a good job Matt Rule did at Baylor. You can talk about Kevin Stefanski being able to maximize lesser quarterbacks when he was in Minnesota. You can talk about that. But that's not what being a head coach is about. We outlined what being a head coach is about. It's about so many more things. So, in conclusion... These have been the five tiers. Sean McDermott has shown to be a consistently above average defensive mind. And based on the traits and theory and the track record he has shown thus far, I feel completely comfortable putting Sean McDermott in tier two. Based on the number of coaches in every tier, that means I think Sean McDermott is a top 16 head coach in the league. And for me, that is a solid result right now. Ladies and gentlemen of Bill's Mafia, thank you so much for joining me for this edition of the Nickel Nolan Show. I do have one soundbite that I really think hurt Adam Gase. 
And I got a, a, kind of an exclusive, it's a Bruce exclusive, soundbite, that Adam Gase said, and I think that if you listen to this, you would also think he was a Tier 4 head coach. So I'm going to go ahead and play this. And after listening to it, I really truly believe that you'll agree with me that Adam Gase is a lesser tier head coach because he said this. I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a do the cha-cha. (laughs) 